Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. God bless you. Good morning. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, MIP is COVID free. Free meaning you don't need a subscription to MIP every day now for a limited time. While we endure this pandemic, we want to make it available to everyone. So wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, MIP is COVID free and available to you and everyone without a subscription. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest is definitely qualified on the topic we're here to discuss. We're always happy to have him when we do have him. He's a senior fellow at American Progress, the Center for American Progress, where he focuses on European security and U.S.-Russia policy. From 2011 to 2017, he served in the Department of State, where he focused on political military affairs and nonproliferation. Special Assistant to the Undersecretary for Arms Control and International Security, speechwriter for then Secretary of State John Kerry, and Senior Advisor to the Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs. He is the host of the Asset Podcast, but most importantly, he is the founder of the Moscow Project, here with the latest on everything from Russia with Love is Max Bergman. From Russia with love. 
Max, how are you, man? How are you and yours doing in this virus? Uh, we're doing all right. We may have uh, suspected um, uh, COVID patient in our household, actually. My wife has been sick for uh, a few days, uh, is now on the upswing. She's doing fine, but is quarantined upstairs, leaving me with the kids downstairs. Uh, but uh, she's going to get tested, I think, tomorrow. So hopefully we'll be able to find out uh, how she's doing. But it's you know, what's, what's interesting about it is that if she is positive, I think it, in some ways a lesson, we're kind of quarantined out in the country and right. had very minimal contact with anyone. You know, it's really, I can't really imagine. I'm, it's perplexing to me, like where it is COVID, where we would have gotten it, where she would have gotten it. Um, and I think it's just a lesson that this is, this is a disease that can just you know, maybe it was an Amazon package. Maybe it was that two minutes in the the grocery store to pick something up. So I think everyone just needs to be really careful, especially, um, you know, I know a lot of people with parent with children desperate to ship their kids off to their to their to their grandparents for a little bit. Just got to hold off on the temptation for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, ab- absolutely, you're right about that. Well, we'll be we'll be praying for her, and hopefully everything will be okay um, with your wife. Hopefully, it will be. Uh, but the kids are okay. Kids are great. All the energy in the world. The saving grace of this is that it's the children are fine. I think if this were impacting kids the way the the nineteen eighteen nineteen nineteen flu did, I think we would be in a far more panic state. You know, all over the world. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that we aren't, you know, I think we're in the right state of mind now. It's not impacting them the same way as as other parts of the population. Right. And and that's a blessing. So speaking of the population, uh, I think we're all, we all were under the impression that Russia was doing better than anyone in this pandemic. And uh, Putin was being given, given a, a high grades, high marks for the way it has been handled, but it, it looks like things may have taken a turn in Russia as well, haven't they? Yeah, you know, this is not, uh, this is a disease that can, it spreads everywhere. And the notion that Russia was doing better appears largely due to government sort of interactivity or, you know, uh, totalitarian authoritarian regimes uh, Russia being an authoritarian are very good at message discipline at controlling the media right. and making sure that you know that they were controlling the press so they adopted a very similar approach to the Trump administrations except uh, we have a free press here and we were reporting you know pe- uh, people the press were reporting on what was happening but now you know at a certain point it becomes too bad to ignore and that's that's what's happening uh, in Moscow, they had a similar situation, I think, to what's happened in New York, and that a lot of people have left the city, um, bringing the disease to the rest of the country. It's now impacting all sort of different parts of, of Russia. Uh, and and the danger for, if you're Putin, for autocratic regimes is that, you know, if, if a regime is about one person, then it's on you. You know, if if the response is bad, if it's bungled, if it's not as strong as it should be, then um, there could be a lot of turmoil ahead. So I think we shall see uh, what the broader impact of this is. But my hope 
you know, I think the I think the thought is that this could be really um, uh, impact the stability of the regime depending on how the response is. And not only it's not simply for Russia the the disease, it's the economic impact is huge, but it's it's the the loss of the decrease in oil prices. Russia is basically a big giant gas tank. Uh, and so the decline in oil and gas prices have also really hurt the economy. So their recovery, I think, is also um, going to be, it's going to be hard for them to recover as long as oil and gas prices are low. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it could be, uh, it, it could have impact the regime. It would, can anything impacted enough to do anything about or alter the the new arrangement he's made to pretty much stay in office indefinitely if not for life yeah so what we've seen is a lot of autocratic regimes use or you know people trying to politicians political leaders trying to exploit this crisis right. to enhance their power and putin trying to make himself autocratic uh, basically dictator for life i i don't think there's anything in this crisis that will prevent him from from doing that they've tried to move forward he sort of put the brakes on it uh, at one point, but basically that's the state of Russia as it is. You know, it's it as long as Putin wants to stay in power, he's going to stay in power. And, and you know, I think they saw this as an opportunity to drop the he was that the situation was just going to be Putin for life, and now they're just sort of admitting that that's what it's going to be. Uh, I think the real question then is knowing that we're not going to have Russia without Putin unless there's some sort of cathartic change within Russia to, to cause that, uh, is this the sort of thing that causes the broader Russian society, Russian oligarchs to say, okay, we, we need to change. Uh, there's some polling that, you know, this is sort of the, I think it's the third or fourth, Kinsella's described it as basically people are just getting tired of him. You know, he's been around literally for 20 years. Uh, the, the first day of 2000, of January 1st, 2000 is when he became president. So it's been uh, 20 years of Putin. And there's just a lack of, of dynamism, of energy. Um, I think one of the questions is what we've seen from Russia is they've tried to use this crisis to, you know, make geopolitical gains. They sent medical supplies to Italy. They used a sanctioned company to send stuff to New York. They're trying to make themselves, you know, sort of puff up their chest and look big. Will will that have any impact? I think it looks pretty hollow. And now that they're really suffering, I think they're going to have a real problem is sort of exerting themselves around the world. You know, one of the things this crisis is doing is sort of leveling. It's a level set. And Russia was overextended. They were had troops in Syria. They were trying to play all over, around the world. And now they are going to have an economic crisis. It's going to really hurt their ability to fund their military adventures. Um, and so I think one question is, do we see them sort of pull back a little bit? And I think that's maybe hope something we'll, we'll see in, in 2020 um, if they're going to try to play in the U.S. election. For most of what you just described, Max, we could uh, take out, edit out the name Putin and substitute the name Trump. Have the two of them been in consultation on how to respond or better not respond seriously to this virus? Is Trump still taking cues from Putin, even in this regard? Yeah, we've seen a lot of contact 
Trump and Putin have been talking regularly during this crisis, more so than they have uh, in the past, in the previous three years. Uh, and on the one hand, it makes sense in the time of crisis that you're talking to various leaders, but Trump's not on the phone all the time with Angela Merkel, with Macron. The level of interaction with Putin seems to be disproportionate to Russia's influence and the fact that Russia is an ally. Uh, I think it further shows that there's uh, a kindred spirit there. There's also been an effort by Russia to get rid of sanctions. The sending of uh, medical equipment to New York was done deliberately, um, uh, both as a PR exercise, but also uh, they sent supplies that were made from a sanctioned Russian company. Uh, I, there's been indications from Trump world they're looking to get rid of sanctions because of this economic crisis on Russia. And this is the sort of diplomacy that Putin does, right? He seizes on crises to then engage leaders. After 9-11, Putin was the first leader to get on the phone with George W. Bush um, and seeing there was an opportunity to sort of say, oh, we're in this together over terrorism and right. to try to build ties. Putin all the time trying to use crises and in, in particular, I think trying to manipulate, especially dim-witted leaders. Um, I mean, what Trump really should be uh, incredibly aggressively um, and, and not simply to sort of check Western democracies that we have a lot to learn from in this crisis. There are West, you know, in France and Italy, Germany, all of these countries are going similar things we're going through. They're trying different things. Um, they're taking different steps to normalize society or certain restrictions. Uh, these are the countries that we should be regularly engaging, number one. And then number two, on the economy, our largest trading partner in the world is not China. It's the European Union. It's Europe. So when we need to rebuild our economic relations, we are going to need to have a very smooth and seamless transition where the United States and Europe both sort of come back online around the same time. It's not going to be effective if one country in you know, the United States comes back, but Europe isn't. It's still going to have a massive economic impact. So we need to really coordinate that. And there's been some effort on the more technical side. There's been G20 meetings and other things like that. But this is where if we are the leader of the free world, you should be leading the free world. And what we see is people in Europe are like, are describing this as the first post-American crisis, global crisis, i.e. that post-American as in America is not a factor. We're not there. It's as if we don't exist. And so they're all just trying to figure things out on their own, coordinating themselves. There's no one leading a global response. Right. And so it's a post-American right. world for them. Yeah. And that's really bad. Because it means that they're going to have to make terms with China, they're going to have to deal with Russia, and we're a non-factor. And it's going to be bad for our economy, bad for our society. Uh, and and I, I saw you you written about that as well, uh, and written very well about it. Um, you have to wonder uh, whether or not, once again, you see Trump and Putin using this opportunity to further destabilize what was once the transatlantic alliance um it is that something you think because uh, i mean i know we know as you mentioned putin sending stuff and trying to show you know compassion and empathy and and that's his yeah. pr but do you think at the same time he is is relishing in the transatlantic instability oh he's it, it this is this is everything. If you, you know, went back four years ago and, and said that the relationship between Donald Trump or between an American president and 
in Russia would be sort of much stronger than any country in Europe, you would be like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and But here we are, and, and to have the tension in the transatlantic alliance um, is so, it, it, it's so unprecedented, actually. I think this is the thing that's sort of hard to articulate, that really not since you know, World War II, or maybe even before World War II, has the transatlantic relationship been this terrible? Um, where European countries view us as a pariah state, as just like China. Because what are we, what is the Trump administration trying to do to Europe? It's engaging in a trade war with the European Union prior to this crisis. We were tariffs against Europe. Uh, we're trying to divide and undermine the European Union, supporting Brexit and autocrats like Viktor Orban in Hungary and, the, and the, the government in Poland, which is moving away from democracy. So if you're the European Union, you're thinking China's trying to divide us. They're trying to build ties with countries uh, inside Europe to sort of block Europe from acting as one. They're trying to divide us. Russia is trying to undermine our democracy. And so is the United States. So this is sort of unprecedented and so what you have is sort of movement within Europe to figure out how to rebalance you know, how, you know when we, when Donald Trump was elected there was sort of a, a somewhat tongue-in-cheek statement going around that Angela Merkel is now the leader of the free world um, she hasn't done much to sort of pick up the baton and run with it but I think that was in some ways a true statement that the, the we sort of had passed the baton to Europe and the problem is that Europe is like a they're like an awkward teenager they've grown they're big they're 450 million people the european union is the largest economy in the world but they don't really know how to exercise how to use their power how to use how to you know they, their body doesn't work that well yet they're trying to figure out how to operate as one and so the suddenly they've been thrust out there and they're not able to sort of cope and so will the european union be strengthened from this uh, or it will be weakened, and it's not going to be the same. It'll really be one or the other, and it's critical for the United States, and hopefully we'll have a new American administration that can work with a strength in Europe that that realizes, looks at where Europe has not been able to respond effectively, take steps to reform, um, and then we can have a strong transatlantic re relationship going forward that then can deal with China and Russia. But that's one of the critical questions, um, and I'm probably, I would actually say, the most important geopolitical question coming out of this is the strength of Europe because so goes Europe, basically so goes in some ways uh, the liberal democracy around the world because if it's just us, uh, we're gonna be so weakened after a Trump administration, we're gonna need allies. And if our allies are weakened and divided, not there, not able to partner, it's gonna be a real problem. Uh, speaking of the election, has the pandemic distracted Putin enough to prevent his interference in 2020 in the United States? So I think that's a really good question. My guess is no, because this is still, you know, the whole, the great thing for Putin with election interference, it's not like he has to build, uh, you know, a, a 10 divisions of a new, you know, army to then go fight that then costs, you know, billions of dollars. This is a, Interfering in American election is relatively inexpensive. It's right. cyber hacking, number one. Uh, Zoom calls, like you know, uh, have been have been shown that they're not as secure as they should be. Maybe that provides uh, a venue for uh, for government for Russian government hacking. I think we can fully expect Russia to be 
uh, active in our elections. I think they're active right now in pushing coronavirus uh, conspiracy theories. Um, and it's a very uh, inexpensive way for them to have undue political influence. And they have their candidate on the ballot and Donald Trump, who's a chaos agent for the Transatlantic Alliance, who's a chaos agent for the United States, who's undermining American power, who's made Europeans think that this is a post-American world. You know, he wants Donald Trump to win. Uh, it's in Russia's geopolitical interests. And I think we're going to see uh, see Putin, you know, fully uh, at least maintain his level of investment uh, in interfering in our election. Um, and the you know the hacking is is incredibly inexpensive. The cyber trolling is incredibly inexpensive. You're only paying a few hundred people, just keeping on the job. They can work from home, probably. So, right. um, so so I think we're going to see that. I think the the question is, you know, I think the thing we always have to put Russian interference in context in um, in 2016. Was Russian interference the only reason why Hillary Clinton lost? No. It was one of the reasons why she lost, uh, because in part that election was decided by eighty thousand votes. Right. Uh, and so it's impossible to say was it three percent, two percent. You know, I think their Russian effort probably was more significant than many people give credit for, and definitely swung the balance. But Comey's letter was probably more important. Um, so I think the question that we'll see is is how close is this election going to be? is is number one and then i think the other thing that i am quite concerned about what if we hack our election equipment one of the things that we're not really talking about when we, we talk about vote by mail is one reason you vote by mail is because our actual voting machines especially the electronic ones are subject to hacking and right. we know this because in 2016 some of them were hacked and this is from the national security agency that woman reality winner who's still in jail who leaked to the intercept what she leaked was that the Russians had figured out a way to penetrate the voting machines. And what they did is sent malware to local election officials and said, pretending to be the software company, and said, install this. Did it 10 days before the election? And some of them did it. So this is not, you know, we're not talking about breaking into, you know, the National Security Agency. We're talking about getting past usually sometimes senior citizens who are operating elections. Uh, the, the technology behind our, our real concern about the security of the actual vote on election day. Um, and that is something that I think my guess is the Russians were gonna, are going to leave themselves the option to interfere, and then they're going to see how close the election is. And if it's really close and they feel like they can create chaos, and maybe that will create an indecisive vote, they'll do, they'll do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the the ease with which Putin has access to our election systems versus the uh, e the lack of ease that many Americans have vis-a-vis -vis suppression and what have you. So it's easier for Putin to influence it than it is for some to actually get out and and have the the opportunity to vote. Um, it is troubling to me too. I don't know if you noticed this, but you mentioned how close it was in those states. Those states, including Wisconsin, including Michigan, um, are suffering uh, deaths uh, within the Democratic base, especially among amongst African Americans, disproportionately. 
So you, you have a problem where this virus could very well uh, kill off a number of voters. And, and you know, we know how small that margin was in 2020. So enough yeah. people died by that margin. But that's not, I, I, I'm not saying, and I'm not going to say that this is something that Trump has planned, but, you know, neglect can lead to a plan. So if you don't care about yeah, yeah. this virus, you don't act on it, which is like Putin, he didn't, he played it off. He's still denying it. He's doing a political rally, as you know, with these news conferences every day. But if the end result is, yeah, you know, people are dying in places that might vote against me, I'm, I'm not that worried about it if, if I'm Donald Trump, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point. And I, I think that the, you know, one of the leveling aspects of this is that, you know, older voters tend to vote Republican and older voters are the ones that are being severely impacted. And I think we're about to soon see, a, you know, it's in Republican controlled states uh, is where been very slow to do social distancing, to shut things down, to do stay-at-home orders. And I think we're, you know, according to experts, there's a lot of concern about the South, about other regions, rural areas that were, are kind of soon to be overwhelmed. Um, because, you know, every, you know, rural areas, you still need to go to the corner store to get groceries. And there's oftentimes one corner store and everyone from the town is going to that place. So I think the unfortunate thing here is the impact is going to be most heavily felt uh, by those, the neediest among us, the most disadvantaged, that's poor African-Americans, but also, uh, you know, a lot of poor in rural areas that are going to be, you know, horribly affected because they don't have access to health care. They don't, in a lot of those Republican states, they haven't provided health care. They haven't um, uh, uh, expanded Medicare. Uh, have, are, you know, people aren't going to go see, seek health care. You know, this crisis exposes the failings of our system, of our society. Now it's exposed, it's also demonstrating some of the, you know, the amazing aspects of our society. The fact that like, you know, research is advancing, you know, at, at you know, 90 miles an hour in terms of trying to find a vaccine, but it's exposing the gaps. And one of the things that was interesting when I went back and looked at, um, read a few books about the 1918, 1919 flu, is that the reaction in Europe was, you know, it wasn't just the flu. It was, a lot of it was World War One. But well, if the poor get sick, everyone gets sick. Yeah. So we need to have an actual national healthcare system. And so you had national healthcare systems starting to be put in place in European countries. And I think we really have to ask ourselves a question about our employer-based system when suddenly, every, you know, a third of the country is losing their jobs and therefore losing their healthcare. And it's not like an employer-based healthcare that was done by some like magic design. It was just, you know, it was, it, it was employ basically companies after during the war trying to create incentives for people to go work for them. So this isn't like, you know, some amazing thought went into having our current system. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunity to assess and to really look at the gaps in our society. And I think this crisis is exposing them, and we got to hopefully take action, uh, both now but also going forward. No, I agree. Lastly, it is uh, appalling to me that Trump has decided to no longer send the United States contribution to the World Health Organization. Is that uh, right up Putin's alley as well? I mean, I know he doesn't like the UN much either, but just 
how much might he be involved in that decision, Putin that is, and um, from an international perspective, from a global perspective, from a global health perspective, how devastating is it to um, uh, international health all over the world if the United States pulls, fully pulls out from its uh, contribution? So it's just totally asinine, right? You're in the middle of a massive global health crisis and the UN has an organization that is about responding to these types of crises. And the, the countries that are gonna need it most and need help the most are in Africa, Latin America, poorer, poorer regions of the world. Uh, and they're from the world, you know, headlines everywhere, internationally, being like, this is in the midst of a global health crisis, you're not increasing the money going to the WHO, you're decreasing it. And we're talking roughly 25% of WHO's funding, suddenly you're gonna freeze. Uh, in the midst of a, it's just, it's completely uh, crazy. And you know, I don't think this had to be concocted in Russia. I think this was concocted by the John Bolton acolytes of the world that hate the United Nations, that have this deep-seated ideological opposition to, uh, to global coordination, to multilateralism, to organizations like the UN. And there's problems with the WHO, of course, because it's representative of a goal, it's a global body. So China at times has sort of dictated, you know, pushed in certain directions. The WHO has definitely at times taken sort of uh, a, a soft touch toward China when it probably should have done, and you know, spoken truth to power to a degree. But they, do, this is just not the time to sort of play these sort of petty power games when you need this. If anything, we should be upping our, incre our, our contribution to WHO. We should be dramatically increasing it because this is an entity that we really need. And, you know, this was not, you know, WHO didn't create this virus. Everyone's been warning about a pandemic like this for a long time. Uh, and, and I think, you know, this is, it just, it's, it's more evidence and just demonstrates how, um, how idiotic, frankly, this regime, this government is, the Trump administration. And it's looking for political fights uh, that it can exploit to then try to claim that someone else is at fault for the petty and terrible response. Right. And, um, and so that's ultimately what this is. And, and, but it, it's doing this in a way that's just going to hurt people and hurt the global response. So right. this is, you know, it, he's not, frankly, he's not fit for office. And I think we can go back to a vote that members of the Senate had earlier this year, feels like 10 years ago, when they could have voted to remove, frankly, he was corrupt and unfit for office. And they decided, the Republicans in the Senate, except for Mitt Romney, decided not to do that. Um, and I think, you know, history is going to look back at that vote and say, what if they had removed him? Uh, I still think there would have been problems with the, our response under a Pence administration. But I think it would not have been the carnival barker type show that we're getting every day, you know, in the White House press gallery. Yeah, I, I have to share with you. My audience has heard it ad nauseum, but you and I haven't talked in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know whether you saw when the the legendary ABC News anchor was on um, AM Joy a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about how what well, her theory is 
what Trump is doing is holding these press conferences at the same time every day to preempt local news coverage of the virus. Most people still get their local news from local stations. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have that, they would be talking about the real impact in local communities, which obviously is devastating. He's doing that to knock that off. Uh, It also prevents those local stations from selling political ads in a political season like this. Um, so I wanted to share that with you, but also now that I think about it, and, 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 then, I, and then I'll let you go after this. Um, again, here is, here is that Putin strategy of the fog of unknowability. It's just yeah. confusion. Just, it's, it's like it's its own virus, Max. It's a virus unto itself. He's, the, the, what he does is starting to look like that little graphic of the virus on the uh, computer sim- simulations. It's just spinning and weaving and manipulating. Yeah. Nobody can catch it. And it's all, I mean, if you, if you literally look at each press conference, he, he, he positions change just every time he opens his mouth and he goes from being bombastic to, to being uh, nice sometimes, even flirtatious with reporters. It's just, it's, it's just you, know, uh, uh, you know, like just a, a diary of narcissism. Uh, <laughs> and you know it's as bad as the virus. I can't look at it. I know a lot of other people can't. Yeah. I, wish, I know you agree. <laughs> we all agree the network should stop showing it. But you know, there's that once again that that fog of unknowability. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have to say, you know, I'm supposed to follow the news uh, regularly in in my role, and uh, I've just avoided press conferences. Yeah. Um, yeah because, yeah. and I I I sort of think it's I'm. You know, it's time, I think, for the news media to realize there's no news from them. Right. I mean, what, what we're actually covering is not the president of the United States providing information about the country's plan to take action, right? It's what it is just watching. It's assessing a guy's, like, fitness for office and just, oh, is he taking it more seriously now or not? But it's, there's very little substantive that substantively that comes out, but you're right that what we've seen again and again and again is the American right sort of echoing the same disinformation uh, uh, tactics of of Russia, which is which right. is just this sort of snide, nothing like nothing matters, everything is BS. Don't you know? And you throw out enough conspiracy theories about oh, you know, uh, about the virus, and this is what Fox News does as well. And that eventually people just don't really know what to think and lose it. But the problem for them is that people are dying right? and people can see that people are dying. Right. And so it's one thing when you're just talking about like an abstract political, you know, about the transatlantic alliance, which it seems you know, sort of this abstract relationship. But when you see people in your community dying and you, you know, people are wearing masks everywhere and that sort of just, you, you don't have the time for conspiracy theories anymore, right? Yeah. You want real facts, real information. And that's why I think his, his numbers are going down. His score for how he's governing the coronavirus crisis is plummeting. And that's why you have votes like what you had in Wisconsin, despite the fact that it was all to be kind of a hit job on Democrats. Right. And you're seeing the response from this administration those supporting him. So, right. um, and, and I think it also puts Republicans governors in a really tough bind 
is they've all Republicans have retied themselves to Trump. They're all dependent on him succeeding. Now that he's failing and failing badly, they don't know how to distance themselves. Well, as always, we appreciate you being here with us and we'll see what happens, man. And, and good luck with, with the family and, and your wife. We'll, again, we'll be praying that everything's going to be okay. I'm sure it will be. No, thank you so much. And, and you stay safe as well. Uh, and, you know, voices like yours and, and the press are doing kind of an amazing job right now. And it's, I think, critical realizing that it's critical infrastructure in some ways for people to stay connected and, and to continue to uh, be informed. So thank you for doing all that you're doing. Indeed. Thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. Max Bergman, everybody. Uh, the Moscow Project. Go to the website. Check out all that they're doing there. Mos TheMoscowProject.org. Also follow on Twitter, uh, The Moscow Project. Thanks again, Max. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.